0: 2 Timothy chapter 2 we're going to be looking at the faithful soldier now when you hear about when you hear the word faithful or if i was to say who is somebody in your life that you would consider uh, to be one Is faithful? Who who would be the person or or a couple of people that come into your mind's eye? Uh, When when I think about faithful people in my life, I can honestly say that one of the first people that come to my mind is my own father, Um, that my dad is faithful, sometimes faithful for better and even sometimes faithful for worse. Uh, So if you tell my dad to do something and he is convinced that you should do it, that he should do it, um, that he will do that thing until his very dying day. For example, uh, he was told at a young age he was supposed to chew with his mouth closed. Now, my dad has terrible sinuses. So when he chews, he can't breathe out of his nose. But I will tell you what, that he, that he would pass out and die before he would open his mouth when he's chewing. <laughs> I mean, he's locked in. You're gonna, the jaws of life could not open the jaws of Theodore Scott Franchino when he is chewing his food. Uh, he also is faithful to drive the speed limit of 47 miles an hour. That's his speed. I don't know why, but it is. He could be on the interstate where it's 75 miles an hour. He's going 47, putzing along. People are right? He could be in a neighborhood where it's 15 to 20 miles an hour, and he's going 47 miles an hour. Children are diving out of the streets into the lawns, and he is going to continue at that pace. That's his speed, and he has many tickets that prove it. <laughs> but on a, on a more serious note, I, I've also seen his faithfulness to our family, and this is a man who is faithfully provided, who has faithfully been present with us, Spent 12 years working on the slope, missing half of our birthdays, half of our basketball games, to be able to faithfully provide for our family. He's also full of faith, faithful in his God. And Jesus is his Lord and Savior, and his approach to life that I've witnessed has been very simple. If God says it, I'm going to do it. Now, I'm not propping him up as a saint. He is stubborn and sinful, just like the rest of us, and, and this is not done perfectly, but I have seen it in his life consistently. The faithfulness of God lived out in my father's life, by God's grace, for God's glory. So what does it mean to be faithful? When we talk about being faithful, what, what are we saying? Well, um, a couple of things in the kind of the Greek definition here is that it, it's someone who can, be, who can be relied on in the execution of commands. So thou shalt cheweth with thine moutheth, closed, right? Thus saith whoever said it to him, and he's going to obey that. Or uh, t- to the d- the discharge of official duties, like being a father or, or a husband. Uh, the word can also mean one who is convinced of something. So that somebody who, who believes, uh, someone who trusts in someone or something. So faith says, I've become convinced that this thing, that this person is reliable, and I will rely on them. So, for example, I've been preaching up on this physical, literal stage uh, since 2010. Now, I've come to learn over the years that this stage is going to hold my weight, right? And and that I I don't have to week by week kind of come up here and just kind of hope that it's going to hold me, or maybe, you know what, I'm just going to preach on the floor this week, I don't trust it. Over time, I've come to know that even when I jump up and down, I can do whatever I want on this stage, it's going to hold me. And so I I stand on it, just like I've learned that I can trust my Father over time. So when Paul said, uh, last chapter here, he said, "Um, I'm not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed. And am convinced that he is able to guard until that day uh, what has been entrusted to me. What he's found experientially, he's found one that he can rely on, one he can stand on, one he can count on. He says, my God has proven his character to me. Over and over he's proven that he keeps his promises and I've found that fully in the person of Jesus. Therefore, Paul says, I will rely on him. I will be faithful to the one in whom I have full faith. We said in, in 2 Timothy, the theme we see sticking out in this final letter of Paul's is to be faithful to the end. First Timothy, we were taught that we're following Jesus together in his household, his family. And 2 Timothy is saying we're going to do that faithfully uh, to the end. And his charge to Timothy here in chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in Timothy 2 verse 3. He says, share, Timothy, in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus share in the suffering of, as a good soldier. He's going to call Timothy to be a faithful soldier. And this morning, we're going to see four marks of a faithful soldier. And we want to be asking ourselves, surrender to God at his word. What does it look like to be a faithful soldier? And, and to start, he's going to use three examples. His first three marks are going to be three different types of people who are willing to set aside their own pleasures, their own comforts to undertake their task faithfully. So let's look at these together. Second Timothy 2. The uh, first one here we see is that faithful soldiers focus on Jesus's goal alone. If you're filling in the blanks with us, uh, they're focused on Jesus's goal alone. So he says in verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Please the one who enlisted him. So the soldiers in the Roman army in in these days that Paul was penning this, they were required to serve for 25 years. And that was their sole focus. So if they had been a farmer, as they're called into the army, they leave their land. They don't work it anymore. Someone else is going to take over it. If they're a merchant, they would leave their shop. Somebody else would take over it. If they were a first century social media influencer, they're putting down their ancient iPhone. They're following Jesus, right? If they were married at the time, or excuse me, if they were unmarried when they entered in, they were not allowed to get married in that 25-year window. No civilian pursuit was allowed. They had one purpose, to do whatever their commander told them to do, to go wherever their commander told them to go, to please their commander, so Paul says, similarly, Jesus is our commander. He's enlisted us in his army. So so what does that mean for us, though? Does that mean we have to to quit? If we're in, like, a secular job, do we have to quit that and become a full-time... Pastor or missionary or or what does that mean? Like a, remember at Christian camp they, they had to, you had to burn your secular CDs and so you had to turn in the Backstreet Boys for the Newsboys right? That was the switch it shine make them wonder what you got right. We, do we have to go that way? Could you no longer watch secular movies or, or listen to that music? That you, now you're only allowed to do Veggie Tales and The Chosen right? That's that's the list. That's the menu. Is that is that the point here that that we can't get married that we have to become monks who just or or nuns who read the Bible and. Hand out gospel tracts until we die. Is that what he means by avoiding these civilian pursuits? I don't believe that's what he's saying here. Well, what does is, what is Paul hone in on? He says his aim, this kind of soldier, his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So this kind of soldier says that there's only one question in my life What does King Jesus have for me? What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to go? I want to please him alone. Now he uses this phrase. He says the soldier does not get entangled in civilian pursuits. Now this word for tangled was a Greek word picture. And it meant when a a ram would get their horns caught in some thorns. The horns and thorns, right? And and what would happen is that would impede their progress. The, The ram was unable to move forward because they were entangled in those horns. And, and so, the, the landing spot for this for us is he's saying the soldier should not be entangled in anything that would, that would prevent him from doing what his commander said. So, if he's busy plowing the field, tilling the land, and the, sol- and the commander says, It's time to go now, and he goes, Well, I'm in the middle of tilling, right? I can't go right now. He says he needs to be willing and ready at any moment to do what his commander has called him to. And so, what we see here is there's a difference. Between enjoyment and entanglement. See, God has given us all these good gifts to enjoy. He's given us food and drink and entertainment and relationships and jobs. But listen, the problem is when they entangle us. And and that's when good things become ultimate things. When these good things actually become our gods, that's what idolatry is. When we listen to them, obey them instead of our, our commander. So we got to ask ourselves, am I entangled in something that's caused, that's keeping me from making forward progress in the growth that Jesus has called me to and on the mission to which Jesus has called me to? So we want to, this morning, just do a little entanglement test in our own hearts. So think about it this way. If God was to call you to back away from something, to give something up, would you be willing to do it? If God says, man, I need you watching less Netflix, right? You are distracted. I I need you to be eating less food. Your Your God is your belly. I need you to be spending less time caring about your looks and your status and your comforts and more time on my mission. Are we willing to give up anything that he would cause us to, ask us to? Uh, uh, moving uh, giving up money whatever are we willing to back away from something that has become sinful for us anything that hurts our witness as a testimony for Jesus anything that consumes us more than pleasing him that that one ultimate aim when he says go are you too entangled to be able to go want to ask ourselves from the story of the of of the soldier then we look at the next thing here we see that faithful soldiers focus on Jesus's way alone they focus on Jesus's way alone so there's this famous story from the 1980 Boston Marathon where a lady named Rosie Ruiz won uh, the, the marathon now she was crowned and they started to notice some weird things for example she had just run a marathon and wasn't sweating at all that's shady right and, and what they found out was Rosie jumped in on the last mile, took a cab, skipped the first 25.2 miles, and, and I think I would still have lost the race with the 25-mile head start. I don't think I still would have been able to pull that off. So she was promptly decrowned. Sorry, Rosie, you cheated. If you cheat, if you don't compete according to the rules, you don't win the crown. And that's exactly what Paul says here in verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So it says, you don't get the prize if you didn't play by the rules. So when the baseball player finds out that the Astros cheated a couple years ago, or or the steroid scandals, or you've got the Little Leaguer who was claiming to be nine, but it turned out in their birth certificate they're actually 15, right? You you don't get the Little little League trophy, right? You cheated, you 15-year-old. Anyway, uh, so what, what we see here is you have to play according to the rules. And we see similarly in our own lives and if we do things our way, and we can even make our lives look good, right? We can have a nice job, good benefits, a big, big house with lots and lots of room. Another 90s reference, right? Uh, we can do good things. We can even do ministry things, right? We could be giving away money. We could be helping people. We could know a lot about the Bible, but still not be competing according to the rules. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this. He says, man, you could have all the knowledge in the world. You could, you could speak in the tongues of angels and of men. You could even give up your body to be burnt, right? What's greater than self-sacrifice? What Paul says, he says, if I have not love, then I'm nothing. I I gain nothing. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What he's driving at here, guys, is this is not just what we do, but it's why we do it. And it's how we do it. He says, if it's not in the manner of of love, it's a gong. It's a symbol, It's abrasive, right? And what does he say that looks like? For most of us, being on task for Jesus isn't rearranging all of our circumstances. See, you could spend tomorrow, Monday, doing the exact same order of events, all self-focused or all focused on God and others in love. He says love is patient. It's kind. It's not arrogant, right? It hopes all things, believes all things. Are we doing things out of love or are we doing it out of self-motivation? So the warning here is we live our lives for our own way not according to the rules. He says it's going to be a sad day and there will not be a crown. Now to be clear, he's not talking about work salvation here. He's not saying these are things that you do for payment. Uh, to, in order to, The crown is not, not the reward uh, uh, that we receive freely in Christ alone uh, through his finished work. So what is, what is he talking about? What is this reward, this crown we're looking forward to? Well, he unpacks it in the, in the third one a little bit. He says in number three, uh, faithful soldiers focus on Jesus's reward alone. So the faithful soldier is focused on his his goal alone, his way alone, and then finally Jesus' reward alone. So you guys know the story about the little red hen? This is where I get a lot of my theology. It's from the little red hen. Uh, She has some some friends, right? And she asks her friends, the lazy dog, the sleepy cat, and the noisy duck, that noisy duck, uh, to help her plant. She says, who will help me plant the seed? What do they say? Not I, said the duck. Not I, said the dog. Not I, said the cat. Who will help me cut the wheat? Not I. Who will help me grind the flour? Who will help me bake the bread? And each time, all of them say, we're not going to help you. We don't want to put in the work. But then when it comes time to eat the bread, who will help me eat the bread? I will. They all squawk. And what does she say? You didn't help me make it, and you don't get any of it. And she scarfs the whole loaf with just her and her little chick's. Wink. Now, this was before we knew that gluten was from Satan. (laughs) So now we'd adapt this and and say, uh, then who will help me eat the quinoa? It didn't have the same ring to it, but or or maybe a diet veggie Slurpee. You know, I don't know what we are allowed to eat now. But anyway, it, it ruins the story for me. Verse six says it this way: Is it? It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. It's the hardworking farmer. So listen, farming is hard work. So I hear. I've, I haven't farmed for a second in my life, but I'm here. I hear it's hard. That I would imagine that I would rather uh, sit on the couch uh, watching disney plus and 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 eating cheetos right that'd be a lot more fun in the moment but when it's coming time to harvest if i didn't put in the work i'm not gonna eat right i'm not gonna be able to harvest i'm not gonna be able to make a living i'm not gonna be able to literally enjoy the fruits of my labor and i'm gonna be like the sad duck or the sad dog or the sad cat Paul calls Timothy, in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And what we see here in all three of these pictures, the soldier, the farmer, and and the athlete, is that they are suffering in the short term in order to gain reward in the long term. Suffering here and now, putting in the hard work in the here and now for a future reward. What What we call this is delayed gratification. Delayed gratification, that means you pay now, but you play later. You pay now and you, and you play later. Now, this is totally countercultural to us today. We live today in an immediate gratification culture where we say we want to play now and then we'll worry about the consequences down, down the road. And we see this play out all over the place, right? When I eat junk food, it's a pay now. It tastes good. But then in a couple hours, I'm paying, Right? We, we see this with pornography. There's an immediate gratification with some of these things. We fuel the, the lusts of our flesh and yet immediately afterward, it is not gratifying. It's condemnation. It's, it's guilt. It's shame. It's knowing that that was not right, right? We, we played then and then we later pay. And we see this in our lives and in many different things. Now, the truth is that Jesus is coming back and he could come back at any moment. In, in the meantime... We know right here on earth today, there are over 3,000 languages that have yet to hear the gospel in their native tongue. Think about that. Right now on this earth today, 3,000 languages that have never heard the name of Jesus, his truth, spoken in their language. We zoom in a little bit closer to Kenai Peninsula. We know that in our area that they say that about one in three people are attending church. Now, hear me. I'm not saying church attendance equates, you know, salvation. But just even thinking about that number, that means that in an area of 30,000 people, that there are 20,000 people that aren't plugged in with church. And I would say that there's actually more than 20,000 that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The takeaway is, fellow farmers, we have a work to do we keep our hand to the plow eternity is on the line and and what does paul say in verse 6 he says it's the hard working farmer who ought to have first share of the crops What is the crown we receive? The joy of sharing in that eternal harvest. There's a day coming when we're each going to face Jesus, and we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, it's not a contest of who saved the most people, or that's the spirit's work, but what the call is, is are we faithful with what he's given us? The relationships, the spheres of influence and responsibility that he's given to us, and we want to Pay now because, man, we're going to play in eternity with Jesus. It'll all be worth it for that great reward. He says in verse 7, think over what I say. Think about this. He says, count the cost, right? Why? For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. says man think about this because the work is hard it involves suffering and not just persecution from other people but the internal suffering of discipline of denying ourselves certain pleasures of dying to self and he says if we don't do the sweaty back-breaking work of tilling the ground we're not going to share in the eating of the bread so he says think about these things and the Lord will give you understanding it's the Holy Spirit's role Jesus said He said he's going to guide us into truth. He's going to convict us of what we need to be convicted of. He's going to guide us into the things we need to know and how to apply that. He says he will work you through these truths. Think about it, Timothy. Now maybe some of you are like, I've heard what you've said and I am thinking about it. And right now in this moment, Justin, I feel completely overwhelmed with everything you just laid out. Like, I'm not a a faithful soldier. Like, anybody here feeling entangled this week? Anybody here feeling distracted this week? Anybody here feeling like I'm breaking all the rules that I've been completely nearsighted? I am not anywhere near the faithful soldier. And that's exactly the point. Timothy has been tempted in this moment to be ashamed of Paul. He's been tempted to fear and give up and to beat himself up. And maybe some of us are even doing that right now as we're hearing some of these charges. And that's why Paul turns to the gospel next. For your sake, for Timothy's sake, for my sake. The last point we want to see this morning is that faithful soldiers know that Jesus, there's a scared soldier. Faithful soldiers know that Jesus alone is faithful. Jesus alone is faithful. So I want to burst a few bubbles here this morning, including my own. Uh, In the story of your life, in the story of my life, we're not the hero. Okay, we're not the the hero of our stories. And it's easy to read the stories of the Bible and feel like these were great heroes of the faith that we need to live up to, to be like them, be daring like David and slay the giants in your life, to be strong like Samson and knock over those pillows in the name of Jesus, right? That we're supposed to be like these men. And it's easy to read these verses and go, okay, I'm supposed to be a good soldier. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir, right? Somebody was with me on that one. Uh, that we're going to try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and be good soldiers. But what do we find when he calls us and we left, right, left, right. Ooh, shiny civilian affair, right? Like we instantly get distracted in our lives. That we instantly find ourselves, as we try to follow Jesus, we trip over sin and fear, that we're overwhelmed. right? We, we find very quickly that we are not faithful soldiers. And I want to tell you today, friends, that's the best thing for us is to recognize that we are not the faithful soldier. We are not the disciplined athlete that always plays by the rules. We are not the patient, diligent farmer. You and I, we're a stinking mess. That's who we are. We're not the hero. In fact, the story is not even primarily about us. It's about somebody else. And Paul wants to remind us, wants to remind Timothy who the hero of the story is, whom it is all about. He tells us in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. He says this is the good news and this is about the most succinct version of the good news that you could hear. Risen from the dead, offspring of David. Let's pray and go beat the Bible or chapelers to uh, pizza boys. How about that, right? (laughs) (laughs) So what we see here is that over hundreds of years, thousands of years, the he says, the offspring of David, there's, there's one that came from David, the people of David, the people of Abraham, the Israelites have been waiting, the whole world has been waiting for a rescuer to come to release the world from sin and from death and from their enemies. And they look through the story of the Bible and we keep presenting these potential leaders and heroes and it's not them. Like we mentioned Samson earlier, you think he's the hero? Are you kidding me? Have you read the story of Samson? Samson? Like the dude belongs in the Jerry Springer show. (laughs) He does not belong anywhere on a list of heroes. Or what about David? He's a man after God's own heart. David is, is a murdering adulterer. Then maybe it's his son, right? The promise is from his line comes a king who will rule faithfully forever. Is Solomon the faithful son? Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He's whatever the opposite of faithful is, right? No, he is not the one that we're waiting for. It wasn't David. It wasn't Solomon. But what we see is it is from the the stump of Jesse. In the town of Bethlehem, there's a baby born. Jesus Christ is the promised hero of Israel. In fact, that's what the word Christ means. It's not his last name. He's not Mr. Christ, right? Christ is the Hebrew word for Messiah. It means anointed one. It means that Jesus all along was the hero that, that God had planned before the foundation of the world was even laid to come and rescue mankind from his sin, to be the human that none of us were able to be. And he proved that Jesus was the hero king. How? By rising him, raising him from the dead. That in that moment he proved that Jesus was the one who had defeated sin and death for all time. That Jesus was then and will be forever the king of the universe. And there is no king, no army, no empire, not even Satan himself can knock him off his throne. Amen? That's our Jesus. And, and that, Paul says, is the good news that I'm here to announce. The, the good news that I'm here to suffer for and that you're going to suffer for, Timothy. And you can chain me up and put me in prison, but you cannot change the good, chain the good news of Jesus. Verse 9, for which I am suffering. This gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. He says, you can bind me up. You cannot bind the, the message, the, the truth of the message. And, and Jesus himself, right? The word made flesh. He said, I am the truth. That Jesus himself cannot be bound by mankind. Ever since Jesus ascended and went back to his father, he has sent his spirit into his followers. And ever since then, that word, that good news has spread. I was going to say like a virus, but I, I feel like it's too soon, right? It, is, it has spread like wildfire. And it has spread in a manner that the world cannot put out. In fact, the harder the world has tried to put the fire out, the quicker it's spread. Do you know where the gospel is spreading the fastest these days? The same place as it was in the first century. The places where it's receiving the most pushback. If you look at a map of the world today, the yellow countries are persecuted, the orange ones even more so, and then that orangish red is the places where the persecution is the greatest. You take a quick scan of what kind of countries are those colors, and you want to know where the gospel's growing the fastest today? It's in Iran. It's, it's in Nepal. It's, it's with our brothers and sisters that we support through the Persecution Project in Sudan. That's where it's growing, where the persecution, where the threat is greatest. If you claim Jesus, it could be your life on the line. It does not bind the word of God. You know where it's growing the slowest is the gray countries. The places where there's freedom of religion. And, and what country do you see in the gray? You cannot bind the word of God. Verse 10, Paul says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, I'm going to endure this suffering because there are more who desperately need to hear the story of the rescuing hero king that he has risen. There are over 20,000 people that need to hear it within a 30-minute driving distance of you and I right now. There are thousands of languages, millions of billions of people on the planet today that need to have the good news ring in their ears. And so Timothy is reminded by Paul here of a trustworthy saying. He says, Timothy, you're going to be on trial. And in this moment, you need to remember these words so that you can be a faithful messenger and endure this suffering and he gives him what was essentially an early Christian proverb, uh, most likely. Uh, it's something that would have been easy to memorize. And we, we know these things. There's things, like even as a kid, I remember learning my times tables. Six times six is 36. Six times eight is 48. So that when I stood on trial before my third grade teacher, right, and she asked me, six times eight? It's 48. Good job. Six times, it's 36. I would remember in that moment, the answer, right? And he says, man, when, when, you, when believers are on trial, when they're being asked for the reason they hope, when they're standing against the opposing governing authorities, it's little sayings like this that can ring loudly in our ears and remind us to endure, remind us to keep on going, even when it looks like death for us. And what's interesting here is he shows us a series of four if-then statements. If this, then that. We're going to see a cause and effect. But at the end, we're going to see a plot twist. So the four things, and then we'll be done. The first one's a new life. A new life. The first part of the saying is, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we've died with him, we'll also live with him. So the good news, brothers and sisters, is not just that Jesus died for us. That is good news. He paid for my sins. We're going to celebrate that later on with with our communion. But it's not just. That is is a part of the gospel. That's not the, the whole of the gospel. Not just that Christ died for us, but that we died with Christ. And that's what he says here. If we've died with him, we'll live with him. Paul said this in Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't, I don't live any longer. It's actually Christ who lives in me. It's this union with Christ, which means that those who have placed their faith in Christ have died with him. Now, dying is a painful process, right? There's a painful process of dying to myself, my desires, my my selfish way, my my selfish will. But the result is a glorious life living according to Jesus' will, right? And his strength. And and he's not just saying we'll also live. That doesn't just mean one day in the mansions of glory and the sweet by and by. There is life for us in this today, You see, the beautiful truth is that we today are freed from the power of sin. We today have been released from our old master. In fact, the only reason that you and I can be faithful soldiers is because the old rebel soldier in us has been crucified, rendered powerless on the cross with Jesus. And now the the life of the only truly faithful soldier, Jesus Christ himself, the hero king, lives in us. But as long as we're still living in this world... We're going to face trials. We're going to to face suffering, which is why the next promise was encouraging to Timothy and and should be for us as well. It's it's a new hope. It's a new hope. And yes, I know. Let's just get it out of our systems. Okay, I'm glad we were able to do that. Uh, Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So if we die with him, we're going to live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. So here's a call. He says, if you you endure this suffering, there is joy on the other side. And listen, Jesus himself has never called us to something, a road that he has not already walked himself. Hebrews 12 shows us this explicitly. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says Jesus knew that he was going to face unimaginable suffering, not just the cross, but his father turning his back on him. But he the reason he said he endured is because he knew on the other side of the cross was a faithful God who was raising him from the dead and seating him right next to himself and that Jesus and his father would continue to rule and reign forever brothers and sisters, when we've been unified with Christ, that exact same promise awaits us today. That there is on the other side of our current suffering, a ruling and reigning over the known universe with Jesus. How sweet does that sound? Romans 8 says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, the enduring that I'm going through right now, you can't even compare it with the glory that's going to be revealed. Do you talk about delayed gratification? You talk about it being worth the wait. And he says that you endure now, you're going to reign later. There is life from death. And what an amazing deal. You hear this gospel laid out. That you and I were dead in our sin, completely hopeless... And, and, and here, Jesus, he, with Jesus, we're raised from the dead. We're given this new life. God gives us this grace to do all these amazing things. And then he's going to reward us one day for all the things he did by his strength in us. And as a result, we get to rule and reign the universe with Jesus for the rest of all time. That's amazing grace, amen? That is a good news. But then he gives us a fateful warning, a fateful warning. Verse 12, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we deny him, he'll deny us. Now, I believe here he's referencing somebody who blatantly says Jesus is not the risen hero king that the Bible claims him to be. This is what we would call full-blown apostasy, which means an ultimate abandonment and rejection of Jesus. Jesus somebody has rejected him and his claims. Now, of course, this dances on some issues of eternal security. If there, if there was somebody who would claim to be a follower of Jesus, but then ultimately denies him, does that mean that they weren't saved in the first place? Does that mean that they were saved and they lost that salvation? Paul doesn't get into that right here. But what he does give is a warning. He says, if you ultimately deny Jesus, he will ultimately deny you. The warning is don't do it. Don't do it. It is not worth it sobering words but then he follows that faithful warning with a faithful promise and this is my favorite part he says to end this saying if we are faithless now if we're following right if we're following the pattern what would you expect to come next if we deny him he'll deny us if we're faithless to him he would be faithless to us right that would follow the pattern but there's a glorious break in the pattern that paul wants to put in here it's like the, the the old poem roses are red Violets are blue. You think this poem will rhyme. It won't. Right? It's an unexpected ending. It shocked you all. And, and what we see here is you, it kind of feels like karma at first, a little bit, right? Kind of you get what you paid for. If you endure, you'll reign. If you deny, he'll deny you. But then he says, if we're faithless, he doesn't say then he'll be faithless to us. Look at the words. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He breaks out of this kind of karma and moves into this glorious grace. God made a promise to us. I will rescue you and I will keep those who I have rescued. And this promise is not based on our character, but on our God's character. And what we see here, why, why does he say he can't deny himself? Why does he say he remains faithful? He says, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. A couple of important truths that you and I need, like the air that we breathe. First of all, we have been united with Christ. We celebrated this on Easter Sunday. When we've been made right with Christ, whatever is true of Christ is now true of us. And so he says, God can't deny us because we're in Christ. For God to deny us that are in Christ would be for God to deny himself. And God is one that cannot deny himself. But then also we see a character attribute of God that we also desperately need, and that's his immutability. It's a big word, immutability. just means, so like when something mutates, it changes. So God's immutability, it means he doesn't change. He doesn't change. See, the reason God can't be faithless is because to be faithless would cease to be faithful God, and if he, and God can't cease to be himself. <laughs> he will always be God. Now, we can take a, a truth like this for for granted, but imagine for a moment if God... Did change like imagine if he made all these promises to us in Christ and then he had like a bad hair day and he's like you know what I know I said I'd promise you but eh, I'm over it right like imagine if, how terrifying would it be to live in a universe where our God wavered and changed and so the security for us here those he rescues the security is not in our ability to be reliable but on his ability to be reliable praise the lord Now, you might be asking like I did when I first wrestled with this. This is a tough passage, right? There's multiple ways to interpret it. But one of the things you ask is, well, now, wait a second. What's the difference between denying and faithless? Like, isn't that kind of saying the same thing that you just don't believe, right? Isn't that the heart of both of them? I think we see here a a, a nuance or denying here is a final decision. This is Jesus is not my savior, is not my king, full stop. Whereas faithless in this context is talking about our reliability, Like our stick-to-itiveness, our our ability to remain loyal. So we think about my dad again was chewing with his mouth open. He knows that it's wrong. He's been told that it's wrong, but he has moments of weakness where he chews his breath over disobedience, right, or or over obedience. And he'll come up for air and go back to it, right? He was faithless for a moment, but he got back on track, right? He's going to do the thing. And we think about Peter. We think about Peter the night that he denied his Lord and Savior, In that moment, this is is Peter, the man who made that first great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And now in this moment, we see Peter not being reliable. That he chooses fear. That Peter chooses self-protection and preservation over being faithful to his Savior. But what do we see ultimately with Peter? There's tears and there's restoration. That Peter didn't make a final decision in this moment. That he didn't walk back his statement of Jesus being the Messiah. And over time, we saw Peter's true colors. We saw a man who was crucified upside down for his Savior, enduring the suffering. Listen, we're all going to have moments of unreliability throughout today, right? We're all going to have seasons, longer seasons of faithlessness where we doubt God, where we struggle to believe, where we choose to put our trust in something other than him, where we choose self-protection and fear. And it's in those moments that we need to know this truth, have it in our minds when we stand on trial that he is utterly reliable and we're banking on his loyalty, not our own. I love this an old Puritan saying. It says, a weak faith can lay hold of a strong Christ. What sweet words to hear. A weak faith can lay hold of a strong Christ. Because fellow struggler, it is not based on our grip, but on his. Just like a little infant who has its fingers strapped on to its parent's finger. It's not the strength of the infant's grip. It's the strength of the parent's grip that will hold that little one. We don't look to the strength of our own faith we you look at the object of our faith. Do we believe in this God? Or we, As we learn to stand on the stage, as we learn to rest on the promises of Jesus and we find him over and over again, when we stand on him, that he holds us and when we fall down, we fall down on that sure foundation and he holds us. It's not our strength. If our one goal is to please him and that's what we just said earlier, right? The goal is to please our commander. There's only one way to do that not by grit and strength. It's what Hebrews 11 says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot please him if we're not trusting him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, must believe that he is God, that Jesus is who he's claimed to be, that he is the risen hero king, and that he rewards those who seek him. That it's going to be worth the wait, the delayed gratification, the enduring of the suffering today. We've got to believe that that's going to be worth it, because right now it may not look like it at all. And even when we are faithless, we see that there is one hero in our story, one faithful soldier, and it's not me or you. And we're going to find, just like I've found over the last 11 years on this stage, over time, we can stand on him and we can fall on him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that King Jesus has risen from the dead, the offspring of David, the the Messiah that you promised to rescue us. And Father, that we know that, that we can rely on him, Father, I want to confess my own faithlessness. That the times that I've seen, even just this last week, that I've chosen fear, that I've chosen doubt, that I've chosen self-protection over just trusting your son and doing whatever he says. Father, we as a people gather to confess we are faithless soldiers. But we're clinging to the promises of the faithful soldier. And everything you've promised in him, you will be sure to keep. So maybe there's a a brother or sister in here today that need to hear those words. That they've been trying to be a faithful soldier, but they're distracted by the civilian affairs. They've placed their eyes back on Jesus. That they've fallen over their, their boot strings. That they would see that you're there faithful every time to pick us back up. Maybe there's somebody today that never has made that claim that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Today would be that day. Father, we thank you for your immutability, that you are a God that does not change. Your love never fails. It never runs out. never gives up on us. And we claim these things, not in our faithfulness, but in the name of our faithful Savior, Jesus. Amen.